monetary policy, zero negative interest rates, the one they really didn't fire off at all was structural reform. Do you think he'll now go ahead and do some of that? I'm hoping he will. I mean, he's talked a lot about this new capitalism plan. He's talked about, for example, um, improving or basically streamlining the process of IPOs. He's talked about finally cutting red tape enough to get multinational companies to look at Tokyo as a viable alternative to, say, Hong Kong or Singapore. And those are steps in the right direction. I think that you you mentioned we've seen Abenomics deploy one, maybe 1.5 arrows. The problem is that the yen is down, you know, 30 percent. The yen is down 20 percent this year alone. And we're getting bad inflation because of that. We're importing record oil prices, record commodity prices, record food prices. So Japan is finally getting some inflation, but it's not the kind you want. And so in many ways, the parts of Abenomics that were deployed are now backfiring on us. Thank you very much, William. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And over in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is flat. Uh, oh, sorry, it's up about a quarter percent, moving a little bit. Uh, the SX200 is down about 0.1%. The Cosby in South Korea off half a percent. Hang Seng looks like that's going to open about 120 points lower in just under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for the news, followed by Back Chat with Janice Wong and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, sunny periods, one or two showers, very hot during the day. Maximum temperature of around 33 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. That very hot weather warning remains in force. It's fine and very hot for the rest of the week to early next week as well. And the maximum temperature could reach 35 degrees in the urban areas. It's 30 degrees right now, 78% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Andy Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Much of Western Europe is sweltering under an intense heat wave. Severe heat warnings have been issued in Britain and France, while parts of Spain have been reporting temperatures of 45 degrees Celsius. Here's the BBC's Danny Eberhardt. As climate scientists have been warning us for many years, this is the trend. To set this in context, the seven warmest years on record globally have been the last seven years. And if you think back to last year, last year saw the warmest summer in Europe on record. There was a temperature record in Sicily that was the record for the continent, 48.8 degrees. There was also a temperature record in Spain and serious fires in countries like Greece, Turkey, deadly fires in Portugal. So this is a long-term trend. EU scientists have warned that a staggering amount of land across the block is suffering from drought, with about half of the region and Britain subject to warnings or alerts. European Commission scientists say water and heat stress is driving down crop yields and affecting hydroelectric power generation. The sentencing trial has begun for the man who killed 17 people at a Florida high school on Valentine's Day in 2018. This is the deadliest U.S. mass shooting to go before a jury. Nicholas Cruz has already pleaded guilty. Jurors will now decide whether he gets the death penalty or life in prison without parole. The BBC's Barbara Pratt-Usher has details. The prosecutor opened the trial by recounting in excruciating detail what he called a cold, calculated massacre. He named each of the victims and emphasized the times Nicholas Cruz turned back and again shot those he'd already hit, a factor that could help make the case for the death penalty. Family members in the courtroom clasped hands and wept as he spoke. 
The defense chose not to deliver its opening statement yet. It's expected to argue that Mr. Cruz has long suffered from emotional and psychological problems and should therefore be spared execution. The trial could take several months. Jury selection has started in the trial of Steve Bannon, a former close aide to Donald Trump who faces charges of criminal contempt of Congress for refusing to cooperate with the investigation into the Capitol building insurrection in January last year. The BBC's Nomia Iqbal reports from Washington. The committee wanted him to turn over documents and testify about the riots, which he refused, saying he was protected by executive privilege because of his time in the White House. But this was rejected, as Mr Bannon was long gone by the time the riots happened. But he has remained very close with Mr Trump. And a day before the riots, he said on his podcast, all hell would break loose tomorrow. After rejecting the subpoena, the committee turned him over to the Justice Department last year. Mr Bannon has pleaded not guilty and his trial is expected to last for a week. If convicted, he could face between 30 days to a year in jail. Russia's President Vladimir Putin has vowed to overcome what he called colossal high-tech problems caused by international sanctions over Ukraine. Calling it a huge challenge, he promised to look for new solutions in an energetic and competent manner. Addressing government officials in a video call, Mr. Putin said it was clear Russia could not develop in isolation. In today's world, he said, you cannot simply issue a decree and put a fence up around yourself. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Janice. On today's Back Chat, we'll look at what the government has been doing to deal with dwindling student numbers and the challenges posed by departing teachers. The Secretary for Education said over the weekend that authorities have been moving some schools to different districts while merging and closing schools with lower intakes because of the shrinking student population. Christine Choi also said this is a systemic issue that cannot be solved immediately and simply reducing class sizes isn't a viable solution. So what do you think? How serious is the problem? What's the best way for Hong Kong to deal with declining student numbers? After 9.15, we'll look at calls for paper coffee cups to be replaced. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, and our number is 23388266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have with us in the studio Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group, and Kim Hon Ming, the principal of Chu Seung School in Pok Fu Lam. Later on in the program, we will also be joined by Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme School Council. Now uh, let's start with you, Mr. Chen. Um, can you first morning? Uh, can you first uh, tell us about the situation at your school? Um. What do you want to know? Is it, is it about the um, declining of the students? I mean, students are there, are there yes, or, are, are some students and teachers actually leaving? Yep. Uh, according to the statistics or the numbers of students, um, around um, in this past two years, I think nearly 20% of my students, uh, 15 to 20% of the students have already left. And uh, teachers, um, the coming school year, a few of them are leaving Hong Kong. They resigned already. Um, compared with the past few years' figures, this year's leaving, uh, teachers leaving, is far greater than the past 10 years. 
So the problem is quite um, serious for me. Did they actually um, tell you why they're leaving? You mean the students and the teachers? Both. Uh, both of them. Um, students, um, quite a number of them are leaving Hong Kong. And some of them are moving to some new districts. And of course, some of them are, um, um, how to say, they, they go to another schools to, you know, to further their studies. Some uh, DSS school or international schools, even some schools, maybe they're more well-known than my school. And for teachers, more than half of them are leaving Hong Kong. Yeah, that that's the situation. So, so around you know how many percent um, you know of your teachers are leaving? Uh, um, around fifteen percent. About fifteen percent as well. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, uh, I was told that there's a musical chair phenomenon. So, uh, because many many schools have vacancies, and so teachers obviously would like to try um, or, or to you know to experiment with other schools, and and that is also one main main reason of them leaving. Is that correct? Uh, in my school, only one teacher um, chose to you know to work in other school. Um, the other stu- uh, teachers, uh, half of them are leaving Hong Kong, and one of them is retired, and uh, one of them is uh, further study. And uh, yeah, that's that's the situation. Okay. So what 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 is it like then? You know, to recruit a new teacher. Oh yeah, it's it's quite difficult this year. <laughs> I cannot find uh, enough regular teachers to replace. So that's why I need to find some uh, contract teachers to replace the, you know, on the seat. Yeah, Mr. Chung, yes. is that is All that right. your understanding of the uh, situation at uh, many local schools as well? Yes, it's a, well, it's about the situation. I think it, it's it's across the territory, uh, in the sense that um, students, if the parents uh, um, have decided to to emigrate, they follow their parents. Uh, simply, they they don't have any choice. Uh, in general, I think um, the parents prefer the children to study, uh, especially in the, the more popular uh, Western destinations, uh, on the belief that uh, that would give them a, a, a more all-round, uh, comprehensive, and more uh, English-focused education. And then for teachers, yeah, it's quite a problem because uh, I know. Many school principals uh, who are still looking for teachers for the school year starting September. So uh, and uh, it's, it's it's quite difficult because uh, and of course uh, there's the, uh, there's also the situation of musical chairs just mentioned by Ada. Uh, teachers at a well, uh, at a relatively junior level will look for greener pasture by joining schools that offer. Uh, uh, senior positions, and at the same time, of course, there's t- teachers who quit for, uh, you know, for 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 my, uh, for uh, for emigration, and and uh, this situation, maybe principal Jim will, will supplement, is more serious in some of the popular subjects, uh, the core subjects like English, IT, and even home economics is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, in my school, the most serious subject is mathematics. <laughs> yeah, nearly um, four of my math teachers will be leave, will leave in uh, in September. So that's why for me it is the most difficult one, because in my school we teach 
um, mathematics in English. So mm-hmm. it is far more difficult to find a, a suitable teachers to, to, you know, to work with me. And on the other hand, they are more employable, i.e., you know, they can go abroad and can be employed, um, you know, quite easily uh, by schools uh, in different countries, I heard. Yeah. Science and math teachers. But w- w- what about students, uh, Principal Chim? Yeah. Um, uh, do, do you think that you know you will have uh, like a smaller student number uh, in view of the current situation? Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean? I, I, I mean, uh, stu- student student number. You, you see, you see, students are uh, have left. Uh, they have immigrated. So, uh, did you have a problem? You know, getting enough students. Uh, I think not only my school. Mm. I think um, it is a territory wide problem because the number of students is um, really declining. According to the statistic I, I got from the government, uh, in the coming six years, the number of uh, six years of age students will be dropped um, around 10,000. So it, it is not only my school. I think all of the schools in Hong Kong, even though you are uh, some prestige schools or DSS or even international schools, we also face these difficulties. Um, yeah. That, that, that's the problem. So, so Mr. Chim, what do you think of what the government is doing at the moment to help tackle the problem, uh, for example, by merging or closing down schools with uh, lower intakes? Um, what I know is that currently um, the government, the um, Education Bureau, has already closed two primary schools, one in Southern District and the other one I don't remember where it is. Um, other than that, I don't see anything the Bureau is doing. Although um, Ms. Choi just said that uh, a few days ago they are going to merge or to relocate or even closing some schools. But until now, I don't see anything that the government or the Bureau is doing. Uh, I, in, in some meetings, uh, most of the principals has already voiced out hope that the government uh, or the bureau has to do something to tackle the problem. But only by merging or relocating the school or even closing school, is it the only way to tackle the problem? What, what, what's your suggestions? Uh, I know that a lot of people are saying that, okay, you know, previously we have larger class sizes. Yep. We have more than 30 students in one class. Mm-hmm. So isn't this a good opportunity to change class sizes to smaller classes, thereby students will have a better quality education? I think uh, in the past few years, um, we have already asked for the Bureau to think about implementing the small class size teaching in all the primary schools, even even secondary school. But I'm not a secondary school teacher, a uh, principal, so I cannot uh, represent them to say something. But for primary schools, uh, currently around 70 or 75 percent of the stu- uh, schools have already implemented smaller class size teaching. But how about the other 25 or 30 percent of primary schools? Um, in the a uh, few years ago, uh, Bureau said that because of the number of students are, you know, are increasing. So that's why they are not going to um, implement the smaller class size teaching in all the primary schools. But now it's, a, it's a, an ideal right time, you know, to, you know, to implement this. However, they are still, um, 
the bill was still f- said that uh, we have they have to do it uh, step by step to see which district uh, really needs to change or, or the whole district turns to you know small class small class size teaching. But for me, I don't think that we still need to wait because you see the drop of number of students is quite you know it's drastically. It's not a, how to say it's not a hundred or thousands. It's a few thousands of years. All right, so Mr. Chen and uh, Mr. Chen, I know you have something to add, but just uh, let me welcome uh, Dion Chen to our discussion first. Uh, he's the chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme School Council. He is also the school principal of Yinghua College. Good morning, Mr. Chen. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the program. So we uh, just heard a bit about the uh, situation uh, from Chu Sheng School, from um, the school principal, Mr. Chim, and uh, he's been saying that uh, over the past two years there have been uh, uh, teachers and students leaving, approximately 15 to 20 percent. What is the situation like at uh, direct subsidy schools? Well, uh, in the GSS school, it is not uncommon that we have uh, the turnover and in fact compared to the aided schools or the public sector schools the DSS school staff turnover usually a little bit higher than them the main reason is that because of the uh, I mean the compensation package uh, um, talking about the retirement package relative is not as good as the aided school sector so uh, it is already sort of the natural board issue in the DSS system but like for the uh, in these few years, we can see that because of various reasons, then uh, we also can see the changes of the staff in DSS is quite large compared to the previous years. Right, and, and what do you think of these solutions the government has come up with uh, so far? Like, for example, by merging or closing down schools with uh, lower intakes. Well, I think it is one. Uh, to me, like the idea definitely could help some of the uh, schools, okay, or some of the districts. But I think the main reason is that, uh, or the main strategy is that the government should think about how can we further uh, improve the quality of the education by taking these great opportunities. I know the number of students dropping definitely is not a great thing, but how can we further enhance the quality of education uh, because of the dropping of the students? Uh, I know that like a small class size in the government point of view, they don't think it is the best solution to, um, you know, to address to this current situation. But like uh, that, definitely small class size teaching, there are a lot of uh, researchers to prove that it is a good thing for the schools or for students as well. Um, Mr. Chen, there are a number of subjects that really must be taught with a smaller uh, class size, for example, in STEM and in uh, classes uh, with a lot of uh, experiments, um, mm. you know, with labs. And I, I, do be, I do believe that, um, you know, this is necessary. I don't know uh, what, what you think. Well, I, well, definitely those uh, practical subjects or the subject required experiments, uh, definitely small, smaller class size is better than a large class size. Um, but to me, it's not just only these subjects, because like uh, even some with normal like the grammar subjects that, for example, Chinese, English, and mathematics, they still, the students could still benefit from the smaller class size. Uh, because of the teachers' individual attention to the students could be could be uh, harder, right. and also like the you know the teachers will have more time to look after the needs of the students. In view of the current situation, the students really need a lot of individual care. What what about any um, on the other side? There are opportunities. For example, your higher form students, your form six students, might uh, have more chances to get into universities. Do you see that coming? Well, uh, I still believe that like. Uh, 
the HKEA or the DAC examinations, we have a very uh, uh, what is a high standard, okay, to uh, give out the grade. It's not because of the number of students decreased, then the uh, standard will be uh, decreased or lowered. And because like the, the grades they obtained will be used for uh, going to the university. So uh, definitely the number of students l- uh, fewer definitely will have uh, less com- competition compared to the past. But like the standard won't be uh, affected too much. All right. And Mr. Chung, I know you have uh, something to add uh, about uh, what the government is doing to, to deal with this problem of a uh, uh, smaller student population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I share the will of... Uh of uh, principals uh, Chim and also uh, uh, Dion Chen about uh, small class teaching. Um, there's ro- no room to wait, uh, not so much uh, because of the rise, uh, rising number of uh, uh, school places that have uh, been happening, but um, there are other practical needs for, for doing teaching in, in, uh, in a small class scale. Um, now, recently, the government has, uh, has uh, openly dismissed the idea of implementing a small class teaching in secondary schools, for instance, to address the problem of shrinking student enrollments. Um, but uh, small, uh, small, uh, small class teaching in these days has assumed new perspectives amidst a uh, sporing uh, pandemic. For instance, schools need to deal with uh, more effectively, students' emotional problems. And there's also the vital lead to, so, to show up students falling academic standards as a result of uh, in-person classes having been disrupted repeatedly by the virus spread. So I think at least on, 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 on this uh, uh, crucial grounds, uh, small class teaching should not be postponed anymore. All right, I have uh, two emails here. Um, This one is uh, from one of our listeners, Lonzo. He says, uh, a friend of mine's kids go to uh, HKIS primary school on Hong Kong Island. He told me that 50% of the teachers in their class have recently left. And another email here from David. He wants to know, um, he's got a question here. He says, can you give us the correct figures and not the media lies? How many of the students have we lost because they can't come over the, cross over the border at the moment? How many students have we lost that have gone to the UK? How many students have we lost that uh, have gone to Australia and America? And how many students have we lost who have moved uh, to the mainland? Can we have the real numbers? And when the border opens, how many of the kids are coming back? Um, I don't really think we have all those figures. <laughs> but um, do you think any of these uh, students that we're talking about, do you think they will be returning to Hong Kong? Mr. Chang, for example? Uh, I think some of them uh, may, but certainly not all of them. And, and of course, uh, when, when Hong Kong's economy becomes, uh, I think, uh, in a better, and at the same time people have... Uh, uh, improved the faith in in our so, uh, social and economic stability and 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 the recovery. Some of them, uh, and especially those who will find the strengths uh, in in say in skills and also uh, expertise, not fully uh, you know uh, uh, utilized in 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 their overseas destinations, they might consider coming back. And of course, uh, that would also depends on how well the students can cope with. Uh, uh, the kind of uh, a new, a new uh, learning environment to them to, uh, upon return to Hong Kong. But of course, uh, since they, 
they have been brought up in Hong Kong. Uh, that that kind of problem should not be uh, uh, insolvable. And uh, Mr. Chim, yep. do you think uh, this um, shrinking student population issue ha- has peaked already? I mean, if this continues, what impact do you think it will have on Hong Kong's development? I, I really don't know what, whether it is in the peak or not. Because, uh, you know, uh, because of the pandemic, we are not easy to go abroad, if, uh, except especially if go to mainland. Um, so I, I really don't know. But um, most of my, my um, principal's friends, they think that it may not be the peak. After, if the pandemic situation is um, solved or is getting better, maybe we, um, we think that some of the students may leave Hong Kong. And to myself, if the situation has not changed or more students or more families leaving Hong Kong, definitely it, it will affect the development of Hong Kong. But, what, but yeah. what do you mean when you say that if the situation has not changed, you mean the pandemic? Uh, no, I, I mean the numbers of students leaving Hong Kong. All right. And uh, Mr. Chen, what, what's your thought on that? Do you think uh, this uh, shrinking student population uh, issue has uh, peaked? Well, um, as I shared before, like, uh, the number of the students dropped in the past two years really, really drastic compared to the past. And uh, I know that quite a lot of uh, people who would like to leave Hong Kong, they've already got plans or, or maybe already like, left Hong Kong. So my personally guess is okay, the number of students leaving Hong Kong actually is decreasing. Uh, but of course, like the, the recent statistics revealed by the government, it just only calculated up to uh, September 2021. So from 2021 September till now, actually, we know that a lot of students left Hong Kong as well. So the data from the government is not that up to date comparatively. So possibly we need to wait a few more months and we will know about the actual factors uh, that we let, that we lose the students in this year. But uh, personally, I believe that the number actually are decreasing. I mean, the number of students leaving Hong Kong. Right. Well, what about the, t- the situation with the teachers? I mean, I mean, earlier we heard from uh, Principal Chim that it's difficult to find teachers. Are you also experiencing the uh, the same problem? Uh, that's what I heard from my peers as well. And uh, this year is not that easy to find teachers. Uh, not just don't talk about whether the teachers are really capable for uh, or suitable for. The particular subjects or that uh, school environment, but also even the uh, teachers with qualification and so on and so forth. But, uh, I mean, the uh, relevant qualification experience is quite difficult to find this year. Um, Mr. Chen, you mentioned earlier that um, you know we we need a quality education to attract people back, and I I share your views. Um, but but uh, I do know that some students have left Hong Kong to go to a boarding school in the UK, but you know, he plans to return simply because he thinks that um, secondary schools in Hong Kong you know, still have to face high-stake examinations and the, the, actually the subjects taught um, are actually uh, too much like 10, 20 years ago and there's no innovation in teaching. Um, you know, that is a sort of complaint I have heard. Um, I guess you have heard similar things as well. You know, could um, educators like yourselves um, sort of take the lead to uh, to do something innovative to respond to 21st century skills and um, to make uh, learning more fun and um, uh, so that the needs of students are addressed and particularly their social emotional needs and that sort of thing. I, I think I think there is a lot that um, you know educators can do. Well, 
Well, totally agree with you. Like、uh, the educators, definitely, we have a lot of things can do to help students to learn better, to enjoy learning, and even to achieve better. And、uh, in fact, like quite a lot of schools, they're already changing the direction or they're changing the way of teaching to include more students' voices and also like make the student centeredness in the classroom more high than before. And、uh, 21st century schools definitely something that we should focus on. And quite a lot of schools already like embedded into the curriculum or、uh, put it in one of the major concerns for the school development in the future.、Mm. How,、uh, how responsive is the Education Bureau on all these things?、Uh, at this moment, like、uh, we know that the government they have、uh, sort of promoted something very similar, but like not using the, exactly the, 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 the wordings or the terms. But like I believe that the Education Bureau they support this idea and.、Uh, Of course, the curriculum. You can see that we keep changing the curriculum or revising the curriculum.、Uh, some of them could be a drastic change. Some of them like could be just a little bit by bit. But like all these, I think they are moving to that direction. All right. Hong Kong is that about examinations? So it's still like dominant the whole uh, education, uh, you know, the、uh, program. All right, Mr. Chen. I'm afraid we're out of time. We have to take a break for the news. And、um, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's、uh, Dion Chen, the chairman of the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme School Council. He is also the school principal of Yinghua College. Many thanks also to Jim Honming, the principal of Chu Sheng School in Pok Fu Lam. And、uh, Mr. Cheng, you will be staying with us for a bit longer, so we can continue our discussion after the news, when we will we'll be joined by Eric Low from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology's Undergraduate Recruitment and Admissions Office. And After 9:15, we will talk to a Greenpeace campaigner about the group's latest study showing that around 400 million coffee cups are disposed of here every year. Now, a quick look at the weather. It'll be、uh, mainly fine, apart from one or two showers. The very hot weather warning is in force. Today's top temperature will be around 33 degrees, and、uh, right now it's 30 degrees. Relative humidity, 79%. Disaster in Japan, more than a decade ago. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Janice Wong. Just before the news, we were talking about the possible impact the shrinking student population here may have, and of course,、uh, one impact we can already see is that、uh, universities here are being more flexible when it comes to admission criteria. And、uh, to tell us more about this, we're joined by Eric Low, the head of student recruitment and outreach at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology's undergraduate recruitment and admissions office. Good morning, Mr. Low. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. And、uh, also still with us in the studio is Mervin Cheng, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. Now,、uh, Mr. Low, HKUST is not the only university that's、uh, taking a more flexible approach in、uh, student admissions this year. Other local universities are doing the same.、Uh, can you first tell us、uh, the thinking behind this、uh, more flexible approach? Well,、um, the whole thinking behind is that, like,、uh, we all.、Uh, Underwent the the、uh, pandemic in the past two years, so、uh, the revamped、uh, flexible admission arrangement is to further elevate the、uh, pandemic's impact on students' academic study, emotional stress, and、uh, social life. So, so will this just be a temporary、uh, policy? I mean, will this continue next year or the year after, or is it just for this year?、Uh, well, actually, we have this、uh, flexible arrangement for a, a few years. But this year we、uh, well we change a bit、uh, the arrangement on、uh, we change a bit on the requirements as well. 
Right. And and what 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 are those requirements then, Mr. Lo? Uh, well, in the past years, uh, we require students to score uh, three stars to five stars in total if they cannot meet um, the uh, minimum entrance requirement of uh, three three two two in English, Chinese, Mathematics, and Liberal Studies. Uh, but this year, uh, we I think that, like, uh, well, students may generally do well in all subjects and may not necessarily score three stars to five stars. So we uh, have a broader base, and uh, this year we will uh, consider in a different way. So um, you you are saying that uh, you know if the student miss uh, the minimum entrance requirements of by one level in one core subject, um, you know what could that core subject be? Is it mostly in Chinese or English, as as I've heard, you know, from students? Because Chinese is actually difficult. Uh, well, in, in past few years, we see that like uh, uh, apart from Chinese English, we also have some students uh, that uh, miss one level in the liberal studies. I see. So if they got a one in liberal studies, HKUST would still consider them if they're science subjects, for example, you know, have scored quite high? Uh, in past years, like, uh, they have to score uh, quite high. In, in three, uh, well, as I mentioned, it's a three stars to five stars. But this year, uh, we'll have a look at the overall picture. So um, students, if they, uh, well, when they use our score calculator to calculate, if they have their score, their admission score, that is higher than the median of last year, uh, they will still be considered. Right. Mr. Lowe, uh, the admission scores aside, because uh, a lot, lot of times, you know, students will grow, uh, you know, quite quickly after they enter university. Uh, you know, you have seen um, uh, students' cohorts after cohorts. Do you think recent cohorts um, are on par with previous cohorts, uh, you know, their readiness uh, to um, enter university and take, you know, tertiary education? Is it still more or less the same, or do you think, you know, that is also a little bit reduced? Well, from what I heard from the faculty members, uh, actually the quality of the students uh, remain, remain the same and uh, they still do very well in the academic studies. Okay, so nothing has changed so far, and uh, and you think the flexibility and emission could still continue then? Uh, well, I think like uh, this year's arrangement, uh, we will uh, definitely like evaluate uh, the arrangement after the, the intake because uh, we change a bit the requirement this year, and we'll also monitor students' performance uh, before we consider the arrangement for uh, the next year next year intake. And and what about mainland students and also international students? I also heard that um, fewer international students, um, you know, are likely to apply to uh, different universities in Hong Kong. Uh, from our application figures, so we see that, like, uh, well, after the drop in the past two years, uh, we see uh, a growth in uh, in this year. And uh, actually, for HKUSD, I, I would say, like, uh, the application number we uh, well goes back to like a, a twenty seventeen level, both international and mainland. All right. So let's go to Mr. Chung for a moment. Um, so, so what do you think of this kind of adjustments uh, by universities here? Um, oh, Mr. Yeah. Chen, I'm, I'm just asking our other guests. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, well, given the rather unusual circumstances um, occurring over the past uh, um, two to three years, I think some kind of adjustment might might become necessary. But of course, uh, there should, uh, in making the the adjustments, there should not be any compromise on the um, on the actual quality and also the aspirations of students. And as well as the um, the quality of the teaching programs, 
for the students so that they can be properly trained over the four-year undergraduate studies. And and the, uh, uh, well, maybe it doesn't affect Hong Kong UST, but um, you know the number of international students might drop. Do you think this will also affect tertiary life, university life? Uh, yeah, that I, I think that's a problem because um, well, we we have uh, uh, have been used to having a, a quite a proper mix of students uh, on university campuses. Uh, coming both from the international school groups and and also the the uh, the local government aided schools uh, as well as the DSS schools, and if there is any uh, obvious uh, shrinkage in the output from any of these sectors, that would affect the um, the international uh, the the I think that the, the kind of uh, proper mix uh, among the uh, among the students from from the different sources, and uh, given the the um, the long-term direction that that the universities in Hong Kong are heading for uh, in the arena of uh, in internationalization and also uh, you know broader scope of intake to, uh, sources, uh, I think this would be uh, you know, this would be alerted to by the by the university administrations. Mr. Lowe, yeah. well, what's your view on that? I mean, do you think uh, with the lack of or uh, a decrease in the number of international students, uh, it would have an impact on uh, university life here? Uh, for HKUST, uh, actually, we, we do not see any decrease in, um, in the international students in past few years. And of course, uh, uh, internationalization um, is not only count on the students who come to uh, the university for four-year education. Uh, in the university, we also uh, provide a lot of um, opportunities for students going out and of course there are a lot of students on exchange coming to the university so in the university life in the uh, in the daily life they will still have a lot of interaction with uh, students coming from different parts of the world and uh, just uh, looking at uh, the diploma of secondary education exam um, results will be out tomorrow um, what expectations do you have for students uh, this year given the uh, difficult situation they have been in and uh, do you think uh, most students will be able to meet uh, HKUST's uh, new admission criteria uh, I, I would say that like this year uh, definitely is um, the students have had a hard time but we expected that like uh, students uh, um, will still score uh, quite well this year, uh, even though like uh, well, especially in that nowadays, like students get used to the uh, online teaching, online learning, and I think students like get adapted to that. But of course, uh, uh, we 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 will see that like HKUST, we we would be still able to admit like um, well good students. Um, and uh, what, what about uh, the difference between DSC uh, candidates and also IB? I know that uh, some of the uh, direct subsidy schools in Hong Kong and obviously international schools as well, they are offering IB courses and they are not taking DSC. Is there a requirement, um, you know, somewhere that, you know, UST must uh, accept a certain number of DSC um, candidates? Uh, well, there, there isn't such a rule, but uh, for HKUSD and even for Hong Kong as a whole, uh, majority of the students uh, are still coming from the, the DSEs, uh, well, coming with the DSE results. So uh, for us, uh, well, majority of our students are still coming from uh, JUPAS instead of uh, students coming from uh, other international qualifications like IB. Right. So what, what is the percentage like? Like 80-20 or even a bit higher? 
Uh, well, it varies from program to program, and it varies from university to university. For HKUST, it's about like uh, uh, 80-20. And it's, of course, it also a difference from year to year. It depends on the quality of the applicants. So do you have flexibility in admitting more non-JUPA? So non-JUPA is, uh, is more international students, more IB students, than so on and so forth. Uh, yes, we have uh, such flexibility, but well, as I said, like uh, majority of our students will still be coming from the uh, Jupiter stream. I have an email here, and uh, it's from uh, our listener, David, and uh, he says, uh, recently we have just had the exams. I guess he's talking about the DSE. Um, can you give us an idea how much lower the exam results are this year to normal years, um, Mr. Lowe? But I guess the results will be out actually tomorrow, so you have no idea how our students have uh, been performing this year, right? Yes. <laughs> well, okay, that's for you, David. Do you expect? Do you expect um, a bit, uh, results will be a bit lower? Because uh, Mr. Mervyn Chung said that um, you know um, uh, there should be really like a curve. Uh, hmm. You know, this is not a result with curve, so it must must be um, a bit lower because well, of the I... pandemic and learning uh, difficulties, etc. Well, I, I expected that, like uh, then this. Score may be slightly lower than past years because, like, uh, as uh, a lot of students, they may not have a lot of interactions, uh, in-person interactions with teachers or in-person in interactions with uh, our fellow classmates. So, uh, well, definitely that will, will have some uh, effect. Like, say, for example, in the, the oral exam or in some other past, they require more interactions. So, uh, we expected that may be slightly lower, but uh, will not be a, a, a a huge level or big level of of, um, of drop. Yeah, and, and I also see another scenario. Let's say, you know, you have the most elite students, those uh, who have actually achieved uh, very high scores, like in the top 5 to 10% of the whole cohort. Um, now, they have lots of choices. They can um, go to a local university like HKUSD or they must have... Uh, got offers from uh, other um, overseas universities as well. So, Mr. Lowe, do you see the trend of uh, these uh, the better students um, going abroad uh, for their undergraduate degree um, instead of uh, remaining in Hong Kong? Uh, I would say that, like, uh, well, there are always competition uh, well, with the overseas university, but I think uh, Hong Kong institutions, we still have our attractiveness, uh, well, if, if you look at the uh, graduate employment survey, you'll see that like even last year uh, under the uh, pandemic situation, uh, the unemployment rate is really low. It's like 2 to 3% across different institutions. And you will see that like uh, students, uh, when they graduate at local institutions, they have a lot of internship opportunities, etc., uh, to help them find a graduate placement. I think this is like... An, you can't find anywhere in, in, uh, in other institutions in uh, different parts of the world. I think this is uh, an attractiveness to students uh, to keep Hong Kong students in uh, local institutions. All right, and let's go back to Mr. Chung just for a moment. Um, just now, Mr. Lowe says he expects uh, results uh, from the DSE exam will be uh, um, not as well, slightly worse than the previous year. What's your expectation? Uh, that might be the uh, the situation, but I, I think the variation would not be um, too big. Would not be too big because uh, this is already the third year uh, 
since uh, already the third year that the examination was conducted uh, in the in the present bowl with uh, with sc school instructions uh, done mostly uh, online. So I think uh, students uh, for this batch of the DSE school candidates, they have got used to o over their senior secondary school stage this kind of uh, uh, teaching and learning mode. So I think, uh, of course, uh, that would. Uh, that would have uh, some kind of impact on their their, their emotion and, and also social life, etc. But then to, in terms of academic learning, uh, the difference uh, would not be too, too big because uh, they've got uh, more or less used to it. And uh, of course the schools, uh, through the teachers, have to redouble their efforts in bringing up, bring up this uh, you know, batch of students amidst a a rather unfavorable background. Mm. Mm. Um, Reverend Chen, one last question from me. Okay. Uh, we have been talking about the best of students and those who can get into university, but I gather that um, you know, the bottom 25% uh, are still quite, um, I would say, helpless because uh, they might have got um, zero, zero points uh, to about 10 points or below 10 points. Uh, well, what, what does the future hold for them? Do you think that there are uh, sufficient tertiary um, uh, places for them and the the correct courses uh, for them to take are they ready for like more vocational type of uh, education uh in my opinion um, our our post secondary education is uh, more uh, geared towards uh, academic attainments because the ultimate uh, goal is to uh, uh, go into a, pub a publicly funded university and uh, so uh, this the um Students at, at the lower rung, rung of achievements uh, seems to have been too often uh, regretted. Of course, uh, like the VT, uh, Vocational Training Council, the VTC, does provide them with some kind of uh, vocational training. But uh, the emphasis is still on academic attainments, given that the VTC is also heading for uh, an, an, an increasing proportion in, in, uh, in uh, degree operation. So I, now given that, um, say the Greater Bay Area and, and, the, uh, and the associate authorities have always been uh, appealing to and encouraging our youngsters to make early decisions on their career, on uh, say uh, positioning themselves uh, in certain uh, uh, leashes of, uh, of uh, uh, personal development in, 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 in the major cities in China. I think that that uh, should be the direction uh, they should be considering. And I hope that the government, instead of uh, pursuing the, the kind of elitist uh, thinking and, and also policy, should also consider the actual uh, circumstances uh, confronted by, by this, this group of students who are academically less capable. All right, uh, Mr. Cheung, we'll have to leave it here for now. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Mervyn Cheung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. Many thanks also to Eric Lowe, the head of student recruitment and outreach at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology's Undergraduate Recruitment and Admissions Office. It's now 20 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to turn to our next topic, and uh, that's about a new study carried out by Greenpeace. Now, the study is actually about waste reduction, but what really stood out for me was that 37% of respondents reported buying takeaway coffee on an, uh, and on average they consumed three cups every week. 
According to Greenpeace, um, this would equal to around uh, 400 million coffee cups being disposed of in a year. To tell us more about the findings, we're joined by Leanne Tam, a Greenpeace campaigner. Good morning, Ms. Tam. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So 400 million coffee cups are thrown away each year. That's a lot of paper cups. Uh, yes, definitely, yes. But compared to the total amount of the uh, disposable plastic table wheels, might be not a very large number. But we think that that could be the first step to treat it. And these um, these paper cups you're talking about, they're not actually recyclable, are they? Uh, actually, can, but uh, it's not quite usual in Hong Kong because there's only one recycling uh, industry factory can do it. It's new meal. So um, I'm, I think that most of the uh, coffee cup is not recycled. And I also find that actually over 50% of the interviewees say that they will not wash their disposable tableware and recycle it. So we think that there should be a new way to treat those uh, disposable cups. Um, Let's go back to the coffee cups. Uh, I mean, I don't want to name brands, but we do see that uh, in particular, you know, in areas where lots of offices are located, um, it is quite normal now for the office worker to to have this coffee cup in their hands and, Mm. and, you know, take your coffee to go to work. Now, what are the alternatives if uh, I'm very um, uh, environmentally conscious? um, What what can be done? But I still Mm. need a coffee, right? Yeah, yeah. We are not saying that we prohibit the people to try and take away food or drinks. But we think that there's a new way we can have a borrow and return system for reusable cups. So Greenpeace will launch a new returnable cup program in Shanwan with six coffee shops and try if Hong Kong citizens can build a new habit, download a mobile app, and through the apps you can just really borrow the cups and then return to any cafe that is partnered with Greenpeace. Right. Do, do you think it will be a popular uh, project or a popular scheme? Because um, I used to bring my own tumbler or my coffee cup to coffee shops, but I, I kind of stopped doing that uh, during the pandemic, partly because um, some coffee shops, they just refuse to use customers' uh, tumblers because of hygiene reasons. So, I mean, the pandemic is uh, still going on. Do you think uh, your plan will work? I think maybe it's time for us to change because uh, most of us know that maybe the pandemic will will just keep it on. So uh, our program, we have talked with the coffee shop. Actually, they will just choose the reusable cup as uh, the dining tableware. Yeah, we think that we just clean it and treat it as a dining tableware is uh, is a good health. Sorry, it's good hygiene condition enough to serve the customers. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I think it so- sounds like a good try. I think, you know, without testing and experimenting, we will never know whether it works. Uh, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, what if uh, people just forget uh, to uh, return um, their uh, these uh, coffee mugs because um, these are sort of more expensive than the paper kind? Mm, yeah, so that's why we use... Uh, we make good use of the apps. So if you download the mobile apps, you can uh, have uh, your own ID to borrow the cup. And also the apps will notify you to return the cup within seven days. And 
if you really forgot or you really want to keep the cup, so uh, the app will charge you for extra dollars, like eighty dollars uh, for every cup that didn't return. And is this a trial just for coffee cups, or will uh, will customers be able to borrow other uh, utensils as well? At this stage, it's only cups, but the cups can not only can carry coffee. You can just buy lemonades or uh, hot chocolate in in the cafe. It's also okay because it's it's double wall design. It's suitable for both hot or cold drinks. Now, in in your survey, uh, you have asked uh, you know people's uh, waste reduction habits, and it is uh, quite uh, astonishing that sixty six percent of Hong Kong people you interviewed say that they would not have their own tumbler uh, or their own um, boxes uh, to to go for um, uh, uh, takeaways. Now, sixty six percent that is um, a pretty high number. Do you think so? And uh, what are, what are the ways uh, to uh, to tell these people that um, you know each person uh, should um, should be you know should have a duty to do whatever he or she can you know to um, to save the environment. That seems yeah. a very clear message. Uh, yeah, I think the result is quite caught with the reality, and you actually like two o two o wish to have wished. The highest historic, highest level of the disposable plastic tableware is like every day 266 tons of those disposable waste sent to a landfill. We think that uh, at this moment, Hong Kong citizens will haven't built the habit to bring their own cutlery. So we think that might be borrow and return system can give them a try and let them know. Oh, actually, it's possible to use the reusable cup to carry the drinks. And it would be great if more uh, commercial sectors would provide maybe discount if they bring their own cups to, to, to the buy the beverage. Mm. So I think maybe uh, it takes time, but Greenpeace will find different ways to encourage the, them to bring their cups or to use the returnable cup service. Well, I'm just a little bit worried that uh, you are preaching to the converted, you know, to the 25, 30% uh, who are already very environmentally conscious uh, and that you you have to think about new ways to target the other 66%. And I noticed that um, in, uh, in whether it's in uh, Japan or Korea, or they, um, they have uh, a very nice uh, lacquer lunch boxes when you order a takeaway, uh, but um, they will have to come and pick it up again. Uh, so you can eat from nice lacquerware uh, and um, wash it, and you know, and getting that return. Now that seems a, a lot of hassle just for lunch, uh, but um, other people are doing it. Why can't Hong Kong learn a little bit like that? Yeah, I do think that there's a successful case in a district like Tokyo or uh, Seoul. It's a good case for us to take reference. That's why we want to try it too. Like in Tokyo and Seoul, and also in Taiwan, they already have returnable cup uh, system. Their government has invested a lot of money and also called with the commercial sector and green groups to launch some new program on returnable cups. So I think that the Hong Kong government can do more. As you have mentioned, people didn't have the habit to bring their own cutlery. Then why don't we try the forward and return system? 
I think it's a similar case in other districts. Borrow their own cutlery is not that common. But when we launch a new system, they can borrow it directly from the F&B. That would be a nice try. And it already proves that it's uh, successful because in, in Seoul, uh, they built up the system for just two months. They have borrowed 200,000 people have used it and already saved 200,000 disposable cups. And uh, have you discussed uh, this uh, plan of yours with uh, any officials? I mean, will you? Uh, do you hope to work with maybe officials in future on, on similar plans? Uh, our plan, our first phase is in Shan Wan. If everything goes well, we wish that it can expand to other districts in Hong Kong. But we think that not only Greenpeace can do it, not only green groups can do it. Government should input more resources on exploring a new way to on waste reduction, not only just stuck with the recycling stuff. Now already proved that Hong Kong people uh, are not doing recycling, even though the government has spent 20 more years to promote and spent so much money to promote recycling. All right, Ms. Tam, we have to leave it here for now. And good luck with your plan. And uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Greenpeace campaigner Leanne Tam. Many thanks also to you who shared your views with us today. And of course, to my co-host Ada Wong and my producer Yuki. Now a quick look at the weather before the, we go to the news. And uh, it's going to be mainly fine apart from one or two showers. The very hot weather warning is in force. Highs expected today of around 33 degrees. Winds moderate southerlies. And the outlook staying fine and very hot in the next couple of days with temperatures reaching as high as 35 degrees in the urban areas and a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. At the moment, it's 31 degrees, relative humidity 77%. The Electoral Affairs Commission has published proposed guidelines on election-related activities in respect of the rural representative election for public consultation. Send written views by August 9th or share them at a public forum on July 21st. View the proposed guidelines at www.eac.hk, the Registration and Electoral Office, and Home Affairs Inquiry Centers. For inquiries, call 2891-1001. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Thank you, Janice. The Hong Kong and Macau Affairs